Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Basket. Uh, here tonight with Dante once more. Uh, thank you, Dante, for joining us again. Uh, Thanks for having we me. Are, yeah, absolutely, man. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we are recording this uh, shortly after uh, the Pistons lost to the Hawks. And uh, right now, uh, really just should uh, should establish this for uh, for what we're likely to be talking about uh, in this episode. You have uh, two pretty angry Pistons fans right now. Uh, and yeah. the object of that... Yeah, the object of that anger is uh, is, the, is the Pistons head coach, Dwayne Casey. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just to be forewarned, I mean, if, uh, if, if you know, you already feel like you know how we feel about Dwayne Casey or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, that that's that's what this is going to be about. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we're about uh, 15 minutes removed from uh, from the Pistons blowing a giant lead and then the late stage of the fourth quarter and then losing in overtime. Uh, with a lineup that was, uh, uh, you know, in which the minutes were overwhelmingly played by veterans again. And uh, yeah, we're just going to talk about how utterly and incredibly pointless that is and how unpleasant it is to watch the Pistons this season. So uh, yeah, Dante, why don't you take it away? Well, we were talking uh, briefly before the podcast and I would say, uh, yeah, my sentiment hasn't changed in that short amount of time. It's just it's one thing to lose, and we've argued on here before that that's going to be productive uh, for the long-term outlook of this team. So losing is fine. Losing is not the issue. The issue is losing in a way where your fan base is forced to watch something that's completely and utterly pointless. So, for example, watching this lead tonight evaporate, I'm not upset that we lost. I'm upset that <laughs> the veterans played almost all of the minutes. Uh, Dumboya, Bay, uh, to an extent, you could say Svimakai Luke as well. Um, there was a significant limit on their minutes, whereas the veterans were allowed to stay out there, let the lead go. And so it's not that we got a loss, it's that we got an unproductive loss. Because I can't fathom a single reason why you would want to field the lineups that Dwayne Casey continues to field and expect that to be um, something that's beneficial to the long-term outlook of this team. Uh, I, I know we've, we've touched on it time and time and time again, but the more games that I'm, I'm watching this season, and I'm sure you share the sentiment as well, the more it's become painfully obvious that Dwayne Casey is not the coach for this type of team and what we're attempting to do. So I'm not happy to say the least. Uh, I already know your thoughts, but I don't know if you want to expand upon that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'll be more than happy to expand upon that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I bet. So uh, basically, I completely agree. What's going on is absolutely and utterly and completely pointless. Yep. So uh, I'm sure there are there, there are people who have known me and my thoughts about the Pistons for a long time. Uh, you know, which which have you know which have uh, my thoughts on the Pistons have vacillated. Of course, there's, there's often just been a lot more negative, uh, a lot more negatives to the Pistons than positives. But uh, what was this three seasons ago? Or four seasons ago at this point, 2016, 2017, uh, basically when the Pistons were, they started out without Reggie Jackson. This was the, this was the season after they made the playoffs uh, uh, for the first time in mm-hmm. a long while since 2009. And uh, Reggie Jackson ended up missing time to start the season. The Pistons, uh, you know, started off a little bit slow, but by the time he was coming back, he was on a roll. Uh, they had a decent offense. They had one of the best defenses. And of course, Stan Van Gundy, instead of saying, oh, we're going to keep Reggie Jackson, uh, we're just going to keep some elements of this and just ease Jackson into it, just brought him back in even when it you know, was not apparent at all that he was ready and said, oh, well, we're just going to go back to doing exactly what we did last season. Jackson was one of the, arguably the worst big minute player in the entire league. Uh, Van Gundy just did the same shit over, part the language, over and over and over and over again. And the Pistons blew the entire season because Van Gundy was just doing the wrong thing in every, basically every conceivable respect. I mean, it didn't help that Drummond checked out halfway through the season uh, or that Marcus Morris became a chucker or that KCB became a chucker. But uh, but the point is you had a coach who did absolutely – just was doing the absolute wrong thing again and again and again and again as, as Stan Van Gundy was wont to do. Uh, as much as people rightly give him a lot of flack for how poorly he did, uh, as the general manager of the Pistons, I think he may have been even worse as a coach. So that season I spent uh, – uh, most of the time I was just watching the games and feeling completely outraged. Uh, I would prefer that season to this one because at, at least at that point, what the Pistons were doing had a purpose. They were trying to win. They were doing it in a super maladroit way. Their players were, for the most part, not uh, you know not conducting themselves properly. The coach was an absolute menace. Uh, but you know, this team said, "Okay, we're trying to win. We want to make the playoffs. This is what we're doing." 
you know, you know, maybe that they were doing it completely incompetently, which I firmly believe was that, you know, was firmly believed at the time was the case. And certainly in retrospect seems to, you know, it, you know, that, that seemed to be exactly true. Seems to be exactly true. Uh, but they had a point and this season, what is it? Okay. It's supposed to be a rebuild. All right. What are you doing a rebuild? You try to develop young players. Uh, and you know, you're, even if you're not deliberately trying to lose like the Mavericks, for example, uh, who in, uh, 2017, 2018, uh, Rick Carlisle, very good coach. I remember he was coach for the Pistons for a little while and they made their first Eastern, Eastern conference finals back in, uh, 2003 and he was replaced by Larry Brown. Anyway, I digress. So he, uh, would just take, he would put his bench warmers in for the fourth quarter of close games and they'd lose. And Mark Cuban came out and said, ha 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 ha, we're trying to lose and got fined. Of course he doesn't care. Uh, but <laughs> you know, draft position is important. All right. So what do we have right now? Okay, we should be looking at draft position, should be looking at development. Uh, you know, you give your player your own players minutes, you allow them to learn through those minutes, uh, to learn through their mistakes and develop that way. What do we have instead? Okay, we have a coach who is playing these veterans big minutes, marginalizing development by playing these veterans big minutes in search of wins with a team that can't win uh, and a team that shouldn't want to win because it compromises draft position. I'm not suggesting they lose every game, but they should not be trying to win. Uh, and he's doing a terrible job of it. Uh, there is absolutely no point to what the Pistons are doing right now. They are not doing it as makes absolutely no sense. And Dwayne Casey is terrible at everything. You know, he's just, he's just you know, he's, he's marginalizing development uh, and he's doing a bad job in trying to win. Yeah. You want to talk yeah. about the veterans getting minutes tonight? Like I know I'm ranting here. Uh, Blake Griffin and Wayne Ellington played a combined 72 minutes. The five players, the five young players in the Pistons who actually have a future with this team, Jackson, Bay, Stewart, uh, Svee and Seku played a combined 68 minutes. Griffin and Ellington played more minutes than the team's youth combined. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. It com- yeah, it is. I mean, it's not only unpleasant to watch, it is completely pointless. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. And I mean, when you have Casey with this system of completely selective accountability, it's like, oh, well, you know, you got to go out and earn your minutes and play hard and compete on defense. And oh, Blake Griffin, you're one of the worst big minute players in the league, and you. You know, it's arguable if you even try on defense, but you certainly can't play defense. For sure. uh, but we we got to force things and then structure things and take away minutes from the young players. You know, even even if it's not what it takes to make sure you get your thirty-two to thirty-six minutes a night, and uh, and then you turn on the young players. You got to earn your minutes. Uh, you know, complete hard, compete hard on defense, play well. Sadiq play, you know, is a very promising first uh, first twelve games, and then suddenly he's not playing anymore. It's completely arbitrary. And if one rookie is getting is uh, you know, and, and these rookies are basically have to steal minutes from each other while Casey instead hands them to decrepit veterans who have no future with this team because he wants to win games uh, that make just meaningless games. So, yep. Yep. No, I, I, I love what you said about what was it? Selective accountability. Was that the Absolutely term that you selective, used? Yeah. Uh, it, it certainly is. Like I look, I, I've mentioned before, like I've, I've played sports all my life as well. And there, there certainly is something to uh, when you go out on the field or court or ice or whatever it may be, uh, there needs to be a sense that you've earned your minutes, so to speak, so that you're you're showing out in practice, you're trying your best, you're doing the right things when you're out there. So uh, to that extent, I understand the philosophy of you don't just want to start five rookies, play them 40 minutes a night each, lose every game by 100. I get it. But for someone like Dwayne Casey, to come out and repeatedly talk about how it's a process and you need to earn what you're given if you're to play for the Detroit Pistons. It's applied completely inconsistently. So Killian Hayes, for example, I know that you and I and uh, Tommy as well, we don't mind that he struggled struggled early because, you know, he's a rookie point guard coming from overseas, shortened offseason, that's going to happen. But there's absolutely no case to be made um, <laughs> given what we've seen in the games that he earned his minutes because he was maybe the worst player I've ever seen. And he earned the start every single game that he was available. Whereas someone like Sadiq Bey outperformed him by every conceivable metric, whether you're talking about the eye test or you're talking about statistically. And he's reduced to now uh, basically closing in on a third of the way through the season uh, spot minutes off the bench. So uh, he's played I'm, 22 minutes over the course of the last three games. 22. And and there you go. And, you know, you could argue, oh, he's hit a bit of a cold streak, but who who doesn't hit a cold streak? DeLon Wright is on a permanent cold streak and he continues to play. Uh, Blake Griffin, I, I have his jersey hanging up in my room. I love him to death. I respect him as a competitor, as a player, um, as a student of the game. I think he's 
especially as an ambassador for Detroit too. I, I think Blake Griffin is a phenomenal person, but if you're going to go be Dwayne Casey, come out and say Blake Griffin is earning his minutes, then we're not watching the same game. And quite frankly, we're not even living on the same planet. So if you're going to have a hardline philosophy like Dwayne Casey clearly has about who gets to play and who doesn't, it should at the very least be applied somewhat fairly and somewhat consistently. But he's shown time and time and time again that he makes up his mind clearly before the season has started on, this is what I like. These are the lineups I like. This is who's going to play. This is who's not going to play. And we see the results and the results are what we get tonight. So I'm, I'm beyond frustrated. And I think that the removal of Dwayne Casey as the head coach would probably alleviate a lot of this team's issues because like we've, we continue to say losing is one thing losing in the manner that we saw tonight is a complete other thing. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of us hope that, you know, okay, after game two against the Cavaliers where he did this exact same thing. Where I, I, the only difference was we had two overtimes in which to play only his vets. <laughs> yep, uh, just more so, time to do it. Yep, yeah, more time so, to be but, incompetent. Yeah, exactly. So we thought that uh, that okay, um, like the next game, Griffin is out for load management. Rose is out for I don't know some very minor injury. It's like okay, uh, maybe Troy Weaver came down in him, or maybe something's going to change. And it's like okay, maybe it changed for a little bit. But the last three games, we've seen all vet lineups. We've seen the veterans play more than seventy percent of the minutes. We've seen the veterans yep. take well over 70% of the scoring chances. Now, yep. what I will say about Killian Hayes, it's like, okay, you draft the guy number seven, you want to be playing Rose off the bench, you have a right, sure, but okay, you give him, Hayes only played six games, he didn't mm-hmm. play big minutes, and when he was on, when he was starting, he was the fifth most important starter on the floor. I mean, sure. like, like Griffin would even ignore him at the three-point line. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah, so, uh, you know, another thing, yeah, when it comes to Casey coming out and saying, well, as long as Blake can play, he's going to get minutes. Okay, fine. Uh, just uh, that that statement in and of itself in a vacuum, fine, makes sense. Okay, you've got Blake; he's a big name veteran. You know, he's he's a big guy on the team. He's probably the leader of the team. Uh, whatever, give him minutes, fine. Giving him minutes makes sense. What does not make sense is force feeding him minutes, giving him minutes more minutes than really only Jeremy Grant gets more minutes, and Grant deserves them unequivocally. Yep. Unequivocally, uh, yeah. So it's not just giving him minutes; it's giving it's giving Griffin a ton of minutes, a big role, and he's on the floor in every key situation. That is different from just giving him minutes. Uh, and and he's been awful. He has been one of the worst big minute players in the entire NBA. So, and he's he's an almost invariably well worse than his than his very poor raw stats would indicate. So uh, yeah. So just back to what it what it comes uh, you know where where it goes with accountability. It's it's not only does Casey not practice what he preaches with respect. Not only is he not consistent with that, but a player can have a good game and then be rewarded with a virtual DNP for no reason. It's yeah. completely arbitrary. All right, so yep. Svee against yeah against Milwaukee, eighteen points. He only got eighteen minutes for some reason. He, he did really well, and then Casey decided oh, I'm just not going to play him for the rest of the game. And then he didn't get into garbage time the next, you know, garbage time in the following game, so that uh, Casey could play Wayne Ellington big minutes instead. Wayne Ellington, who has no future with this team, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Casey noticed, but uh, but you know this season is <laughs> it's like he's going to play Wayne Ellington because he wants to win. I'm not sure if he noticed <laughs> that development is key. Wayne Ellington yeah. has no future with this team. This team is not going anywhere in the win column. And it, frankly, it should not be trying to go anywhere in the win column. So, but yeah, it's like 18 points in 18 minutes, led the team in scoring, and then didn't get to play until garbage time in the following game. It is completely arbitrary. It's like there is no real reward system. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> like Seku, um, it came out, uh, this is one of the beat writers, uh, I believe this was Sankov who said this, is that Seku isn't not getting minutes because he's because he's not trying hard or because he has poor work ethic. He's not getting minutes because the Pistons are trying to win and Dwayne Casey feels there are better options, which is a completely insane... It's like, I'm not calling what Sankova said insane. I'm saying that is an insane philosophy. So, well, certainly it is. Did you, uh, did you happen to see Steve Kerr's quote? It was either last night or early this morning. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's about yeah about the importance of uh, of, of getting time for the younger players or giving them well, yeah, time, I believe. I, I think what he said was, you know, if if my life was on the line uh, based on needing to win a game, uh, and I had to win this game at all costs, this is probably not the starting lineup that I would roll out. Uh, but I do recognize that the long-term future of this team centers around these players, and so it's important for me to give them minutes and to uh, allow them to build chemistry within each other. So that, to me, delineates someone like Steve Kerr, who's a multiple-time champion and widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the league, maybe of all time, versus someone like Dwayne Casey, who wins Coach of the Year and then gets fired. Um, it's, it's, Dwayne Casey's incredibly short-sighted, and that, that quote by Kerr 
someone who you know knows how to coach a basketball team just highlights the ineptitude. Um, yeah. It's a yeah, team that, that can win. That team can win too. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It can. Yeah. But Kerr realizes, hey, are we going to win it all this year? Probably not. And is James Wiseman's development more important than whatever veteran big we have coming off the bench who might provide a marginal increase in our win percentage, our win probability percentage? You know, so it's just it, that really highlights the difference between why the Warriors are the Warriors and why the Pistons have been the Pistons and continue to be the Pistons um, basically ever since the going to work team <laughs> was done. It's this cycle of hideous ineptitude where the team can't quite decide what direction it wants to go. Um, and, and Dwayne Casey right now is illustrating that ineptitude uh, to the highest degree. Quite frankly, I'm, I'm getting sick of it and I'm going to continue to watch because like you said, you want to stay informed for the podcast just because you love basketball and we love the team. But when I've spent the past two and a half hours watching what I've watched, it's, it doesn't leave me with a good taste in my mouth. Quite frankly, it makes me feel like what I want as a fan is fundamentally disconnected from what the head coach is trying to do. And what Troy Weaver has sold, which is even though he hasn't come right out and said rebuild, he's made it very clear through his actions that the team that we had last year was not the team that was going to do anything. He, basically completely blew it up to the best of his abilities and Casey is not holding up his end of the bargain so I'm beyond frustrated right now and I don't see a solution that doesn't involve firing Dwayne Casey and honestly I can't imagine that Troy Weaver has in his mind that his championship winning head coach is going to be Casey but I suppose that remains to be seen as well I've seen crazier things from this team so oh yeah that's where I'm yeah, the Pistons have not had a capable head coach since Flip Saunders. That was two thousand and wait, was he still around in two thousand and nine, or was that, uh, or was Curry already uh, was already the coach? Whatever the case, it's been well over a decade. The Pistons have had a succession of mediocre and competent head coaches. Uh, you know, let's let's talk about uh, about Weaver a little bit uh, a little bit later in the in the episode because I I honestly think he has more culpability in this. Uh, but when it comes to Dwayne Casey, all right, so Dwayne Casey, uh, I remember back in two thousand fifteen, watched the playoffs said, uh, you know, watched the Raptors completely collapse. I believe they were the third seed, completely collapse in the first round, get swept by the by the Wizards because uh, Dwayne Casey's offense more or less revolved around isolations by, De- by, by DeRozan and Lowry, and it wasn't working, and his offense wasn't working. And characteristically for Dwayne Casey, he changed nothing. <laughs> he just did the same thing over and over again. And I remember thinking, they have got to get this guy out of here. Like, yeah. you know, he's a good, you know, he's a good floor raiser. He's, he's helped this team get back from a completely terrible position uh, and, and, and get to the point where they can make the playoffs. This is as far as he is going to take the team. This is, this is not a coach who is going to, who's going to win you a championship. He does not have that ceiling. And, uh, and ultimately, they kept him. I mean, the, the, the Raptors went on to, to make some noise in the playoffs, but, but ultimately just collapsed again and again. And, and, and the repeated theme was that Casey would fall back on, on his familiar which was Lowry isolations, DeRozan isolations, and just doing things in his very simplistic way on offense and making no adjustments on either side of the floor. So, you know, when it comes to 2016, okay, I, you know, they, uh, they win a, jeez, uh, what was it in 2016? They, I believe they, they beat the, uh, I would have to look it up. Basically, all the playoff series that, that the Raptors won in 20, 2016, 2017, and 2018 were close series against not very good teams. Uh, like mm. they... Uh, they played a seven-game series against uh, what I believe were the forty-three-win Pacers in uh, in two thousand and sixteen. They played a seven-game series that year against the not very good Miami Heat. Yep. Uh, yeah. The next year, I believe it was, and and then they got uh, you know they managed to win two games against the Cavaliers, but they got destroyed in the first two games and wrecked in the next in, in, in games five and six. Uh, they played a, a, a you know relatively close series against the Bucks, three of whose uh, whose top players in minutes were were Thon Maker. Uh, Tony Snell and, uh, and goodness, I don't remember another super unremarkable player. And it's just like, and, and then they got annihilated by the Cavs. And in, in the following season, again, some unimpressive wins annihilated by the Cavs. And, uh, and then Casey finally got fired. But as we've said before, I mean, Casey, basically Masai Ujiri took steps to protect Casey from himself in that final season. He right. got rid of these veterans whom Casey loved uh, because Casey is, if we've seen it, he's going to fall back on his familiar and his familiar is his veterans. And so the young players got to come in and and uh, and get their time. And he also said, "Well, your offense sucks, friend. You know, this is, he all but said this by what he did. Your offense sucks, and you just can't do it. 
So we're going to give that this is going to be a new offense and I'm not going to let you plan it. So that went to Nick Nurse, who did, uh, did, did clearly, you know, became became very clear the next season that he was the, you know, the true power behind the throne, so to speak, as far as Casey winning coach of the year and the Raptors having their best season. Uh, the, the offense went from just complete rote garbage that uh, that uh, they're kind of rote garbage that Casey just did over and over again that would persistently collapse against good teams uh, and, and just didn't have the dynamism to uh, to survive contact with a really good defense, especially because Casey couldn't make adjustments. Uh, to a modern, fast-paced uh, offense based on efficient uh, shot selection, ball movements, uh, and faster pace. And, and uh, the Raptors scored about five more points per game than they had in the previous season. And then Casey fell back in his typical bullshit. Sorry, I keep swearing. He fell back in his typical, typical garbage in the playoffs. And, uh, and he got fired. And, and what's often brought up as an example is the third quarter. Uh, I believe this was game two against the Cavs, in which Kevin Lowe, Posted up, uh, successfully posted up CJ Miles, uh, whom Dwayne Casey had assigned as he was playing a power forward against Kevin Lowe for no reason. Posted him up four times over the course of three minutes successfully, and Casey did nothing. Uh, that's just typifies Dwayne Casey. So uh, I didn't want him as coach in the first place. I was like, this is a mediocre coach. His flaws are known. They become more and more pronounced as, as the league has gravitated more toward analytics and spacing. And uh, it's, it's more important than ever to have a coach who's very good on offense because offense is key. And, uh, and the Pistons just, you know, please go with, uh, with a lesser known talent who has a higher ceiling. But of course it was all about making the playoffs. So they went with Dwayne Casey yep. to, to my chagrin. And I think in, 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 in many ways he is just, I mean, in some ways he's much better than Stan Van Gundy in other ways he is, he shares a lot of the same issues. So no, I, I would I would certainly agree. I don't know if this would be a good pivot point to uh, turn to Troy Weaver and what Weaver's um, role has been in this debacle. But I can give I can give my opinion first, and if you want to kind of expand upon it, feel free. But basically, uh, if we were having a contest of who I blame more for what I'm seeing, uh, I'm a lot lower on Dwayne Casey than I am on Troy Weaver. I can tell you that. So Troy Weaver, um, coming from OKC. Right, who I, who I believe is a class organization. You know, they've they've ridden the ups and downs. They played meaningful basketball late into the playoffs, uh, almost won a championship. And I I believe uh, you might not, but I, I certainly believe that Troy Weaver probably knows what it takes to build a winner. Um, and I like the aggressiveness in the draft. I like the aggressiveness in free agency. Not necessarily that I agree with every move, but you know, his quote about I'm gonna have my clip fully unloaded. Like he's he's diving right in. I respect that. I think far too many general managers and upper level executives in the world of competitive sports are very, very passive uh, for fear of losing their jobs. And I, and I respect Troy Weaver for going out um, and shaking things up and making moves. That being said, one critical failure of his that I think is being uh, thrown under a microscope, to, especially on a night like tonight, would be you have to know who your coach is. And so Troy Weaver's ultimate plan may not have been for the Wayne Ellingtons and the DeLon Wrights of the world to play 40 minutes a night. But unfortunately, that's the head coach you have of your team. Your head coach is like you said, he's going to fall back on his familiar and his familiar is the people who are the players who he believes will lead to the best chance of winning on any given night. Um, it's funny because I don't even think <laughs> the players that Casey plays gives him the best chance to win in every situation, but he certainly does. And he always thinks the veterans are the key. Um, so that's on Troy Weaver to know, hey, uh, unfortunate as it may be, if I sign this guy, if I give this guy a spot on our roster, Dwayne is going to play him over the players that we've sunk in significantly more resources into and the players who will play a significantly larger role in the future of this team. So you got to know, for example, that uh, DeLon Wright and Wayne Ellington are probably going to take minutes away from Sadiq Bey. Um, and because of the way Casey likes to run his offenses, when when you do make a good signing, and in my opinion, Jeremy Grant was, I've, I've gotten higher and higher on him as the games have gone on. And I, I think most improved player is, is between him and Wood, like that's, he's kind of running away with it a bit. I would even argue that he's beginning to creep into all-star third team, second team, all pro levels of play right now. He's been absolutely incredible. Um, but because of how Dwayne Casey runs his offense, you'll see 12 points on not a single missed shot for Jeremy Grant in the first quarter. And then he doesn't, you know, take another field goal until halfway through the third. Like it's just, it's mind boggling 
So it's, it's, it's a combination of things where Troy Weaver has to know that the players he's putting on this team, whether it's via trade, free agency, whatever the case may be, that's going to affect who plays and when they play, what role in the offense and slash or defense they get. Because Dwayne Casey can't be trusted to utilize these pieces properly. So uh, that that's that's where I would be. I, I think I, I still want to give Troy Weaver the benefit of the doubt, but I do have serious qualms with him signing uh, the DeLon Wrights, the Wayne Ellingtons, the Mason Plumleys, who are really taking away from the playing time and the general opportunity of the youth on this team. Uh, yeah, it's uh, when it comes to uh, to Wrights and, and Ellington, they don't, they don't take minutes directly from Bay, but they basically not, not Bay, they, but you yeah, know they, what I mean. Yeah, yeah they, like in, they, in they the take them from the Jackson. Lineup. Yeah, they take them from Jackson and Speed, and yeah. uh, and then they have to, and then if they're getting minutes, they have to get them at small forward, and Bay loses his minutes. <laughs> so right, yeah. No, so exactly. basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know what you meant. I just, I just thought I'd discuss in the, it. In the generality, whether it's Josh Jackson, <laughs> Svee McIlwain, yeah. Bay, because of the way you got to shuffle the lineups, the end result is that these guys aren't playing, and when they do play, yeah, exactly. they're not getting the offensive opportunity that they should be getting. No, yeah, a lot of the time, I mean, you see Casey's rotation, which doesn't change. I mean, a couple years ago, uh, for example, back when I was just screaming for Luke Kennard to get minutes and to be played correctly, yep. like give yep. him shots. You know, don't Please. have Thon Maker spotting up the three-point line. Have him set screens <laughs> for Luke Kennard. You know, yeah. Kennard, you know, Kennard thrives on volume. Get him involved. Use him properly. And it's like, you know what? I know that Luke Kennard, I know that Ish Smith is going to be the first guy on. He's going to check in at X, you know, at, at, I think it was like probably six minutes in. You know that yeah. Kennard's going to come in uh, at eight minutes into the game. And Dwayne Casey just does this. He just does this. Um, so basically what you see in his rotations, uh, Derek Rose will come in uh, with about 4.30-ish left in the first quarter. Yeah. Isaiah Stewart may come in, then he might come in a minute later. Whatever the case, you ultimately will uh, will likely end up with four young guys on the floor. Unfortunately, they're playing with Derek Rose, who can't play as part of an offense, and nope. is going to look for his shot early in the shot clock. Uh, yeah, he's an isolation player. Maybe the yeah. most isolation-heavy player that I've seen for the Pistons in the, yeah. the last few years, for sure. Yeah, it's just, no doubt. Yeah, it's isolations and pick and rolls, and he goes for his own shot. Yep. And that's that's yep. not good for your young players' development. Guys who want No, to it certainly keep, isn't. Yeah. Yeah, you want to grow up in a modern offense. A lot of the time, they're just standing around. I mean, how's that good for their development? I mean, it's so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to Weaver, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit less inclined to give him the benefit of the doubts. Uh, I, I have been concerned that he was a guy who's just an example to Peter Principal, uh, who was who was very, who was by all accounts quite capable in his role in uh, in Oklahoma City, uh, in which I think he was. I, I I don't know for sure. It seems like he was certainly uh, very much a, a draft focused guy. Maybe he was. I think he was a college decisions. scouting, perhaps like maybe yeah. a director, one of the higher ups in college scouting for sure. Yeah, well, yeah. So whatever the case, uh, you know, was he a guy who was just good at certain things and performed at his best with a capable general manager, Sam Presti, above him? And and has he come in and basically shown that he's not the greatest for the job? I still don't really love what he did in free agency. Like I said in the last episode, Jeremy Grant has been playing great, but what value does he really have to a Pistons team that's not trying to win? And where mm-hmm. you, know, to, you know, say what you will, he he is positioned because Blake Griffin is there to to block some minutes for the younger players. Uh, he took away cap space. He might win the Pistons some games. Uh, goodness forbid they get a, a really good young player next. Uh, no, not goodness forbid that, but the goodness forbid a situation in which sure you get a really good player in the draft. That's great, of course. Maybe Hayes plays better, also plays well next season, also that's great, of course. Uh, but what is the situation then if Jeremy Grant is playing well and suddenly these games the Pistons have been losing by a small margin, some of them become wins and the Pistons win 35 games? Yeah. Then Jeremy Grant was a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, no, for sure, for sure. So there's that. There were some other things I really didn't like that he did in the offseason. Well, in the first place, like just blowing all the cap space was just weird. And, and he, he made it very clear this is, you know, a compete while rebuilding. That's the directive. Uh, if, if, he had, if he had told Casey, yeah, I want to make sure, I want you to prioritize development, and that's a priority, I got to think that Casey would be doing that. Uh, I think that, that Troy Weaver was the progenitor of that policy, uh, and that he also, as you said, deserves some, uh, some blame for giving Casey this many veterans, because we know throughout Casey's entire tenure, if he has these veterans, he will break these veterans. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just what's going to happen. Wayne Ellington came back to Detroit because... Uh, because he knew he uh, would play. Yeah, he knew he yeah, would play a lot. Yeah, as it was put by, uh, I believe it was James Edwards, is that is that Ellington wanted to come back because he he really appreciated the opportunity he got from Dwayne Casey two uh, two seasons ago in 2018, 2019. And uh, goodness, <laughs> is he getting that opportunity? Oh my you know, god, he had more happen. shots than Grant at one point. He had more yeah. shots than Grant for like a significant part of the game, and I just couldn't 
wrap my, my I, I, uh, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry, Casey doesn't, <laughs> Casey doesn't coach that closely. He just, he doesn't, uh, he, he just, he doesn't, he, he doesn't coach, uh, he doesn't coach in the way that gets the most out of his players. And I don't care, you know, reiterate, neither one of us cares about the loss. No, absolutely not. You're starting, you know, it's it's like you're starting five veterans. I've been racking my brain for an equivalent of example of a team in the first season of the rebuild, uh, of a rebuild that is starting at five veterans. It makes no sense. So, yeah. So in any event, uh, yeah, so that's where I'm on Weaver. I think, I think he, he might have some culpability in it. And oh no, he might. He might. Well, look at the look at the last Hawks game we played. Uh, the the mood surrounding that game, even though the result is the same, we lost both of those games. But the mood surrounding the last Hawks game, where you got a good showing from all of your young players, and you you lost in a a highly competitive manner. Uh, nobody's nobody's upset about that. Wh- whatever social media you're checking, whether it's this podcast, just talking to your friends, whatever. Nobody's upset about the fact they lost and nobody's upset about how they lost but it that's a complete 180 from what we saw tonight um and so even though the result is the same and the result is fine it's okay that we lost i i think yours and i's problem is is how we got there yeah it was a pointless loss it was Absolutely. a loss that had no positives of any kind besides the fact that it was a loss yep. it's like yep. it, yeah you could have won you could have lost this game while giving adequate opportunity to the young players uh instead they got minimal opportunity Yep. They're just minimal opportunity. And and on, on top of that with Casey, again, yeah, he's just not a good offensive coach. The guy is not a good offensive coach. He does not run a good offense. He, no. does, not, uh, run, he does not run a specific offense. It's just possessions get lost. Stupid stuff happens. He falls back on isolations constantly. Like in uh, like that, that last, um, uh, that last play of, uh, and this is just, you know, basically just me complaining about how bad Dwayne Casey is again at everything, including when he's trying to win. Uh, it's like, you've got the last possession. You are uh, the game is tied, and what do you do? You have Jeremy Grant on the floor; he's your best scorer by far. Let's not even get him involved. Why bother? Uh, you know the, the, the play is clearly centered, clearly centered around around Blake Griffin trying to post up. That failed, so Rose goes on an isolation. Brilliant, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Transcendent coaching, right there. Your best yeah, player is yeah. on the floor, and you relegate him to standing in the corner. Which, quite quite frankly, I don't know if you noticed, Jeremy Grant doesn't seem to have a lot of like plays ran for him, which I think is very very odd considering the level at which he's playing. So I I, I know I'd, I'd left a comment earlier. I mentioned it. I saw some people talking about it on Twitter too. When you start the game like five for five, you got twelve points. You're looking absolutely outstanding, and then you proceed to not have a field goal attempt until like the third quarter. That's that's coaching. Like you can say what you want about Jeremy Grant's assertiveness, but I think you need to know your players. You need to know that Jeremy Grant is burning hot right now, and you should be getting him the ball at all costs. But instead, you know, he's forced to get the ball off these dribble handoffs and stand in the corner. And we can watch Blake Griffin post up from the three point line, or Derek Rose kind of do the jerky whatever kind of get into the lane and throw up a floater and whether they go in or they don't it's it's just frustrating to see a player who's blossoming while simultaneously being stifled so he's not blossoming quite as much as he could be um and i know we we just spoke about what is the long-term value of grant uh given that the team isn't actively trying to win uh but i will disagree a little bit because i think there's value in you know, if, if Jeremy Grant keeps up this pace, he'll probably be third team All NBA. I know that's you know extrapolating out of it, but that's yeah, the level he's that, playing at. But, well, I don't know. That's the level he's playing at right now on both sides of the floor. I'm um, not sure. I mean, I, I think he would have trouble getting an All NBA selection for one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, I think it's also just worth noting that there are a lot of good players at the wing. Positions. No, that's fair. That's fair. at forwards. Uh, forward, All Star maybe. I mean, what, do you, what do you think about All Star? There's not going to be an all-star game, so. <laughs> but, don't I mean, they still you... get the selections, though? I th- I feel like they still. I'm not sure. Players. Maybe either way. I, I guess the general sentiment was that he's playing at a very, very, very high level. That was my sentiment. Now I, I'm not sure what acc- accolades that's going to bring. Uh, certainly, in consideration for for most improved, I, I don't think there's much uh, much debate there. But I think there's value in having a player that good. Um, and I do think that he, well, clearly he's not adding to the win total because we've only won what, two, three games at this point, even when he is playing uh, at that level, yeah, four, four games. Out of 15. Okay. So we're at four out of 15. So he's not raising, he's not raising the win total that much. Um, and I do like to see him succeed. He's a lot of fun to watch and to see him relegated to the role on offense that he's been given 
uh, I just think someone who's showing that much scoring aptitude should be given a lot more uh, of a quality look in this offense. But there really isn't this offense because Dwayne Casey doesn't really run an offense. It's just kind of, hey, give it to the vets, see what happens. Blake, Derek, you guys choose where we go from here. Um, uh, he, he runs an offense to a degree, but he's the, kind of the opposite of Stan Van Gundy. Uh, neither one of them is good at running an offense. Stan Van Gundy would run the offense with an iron fist, call every single half court set uh, from just uh, from this very short list of plays that you know yeah. that you get a month to two months into the season. Every single team in, in the league knows what he's going to call. Dwayne mm-hmm. Casey puts out a more competent offense, but doesn't seem to call any plays at all or really actively manage the offense at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Before I forget, I was I was wrong about. Uh, that that uh, that broken play ended with Rose isolation. Uh, that wasn't the last play of the game, but that was the play in which the Pistons could have iced the game. Uh, the yeah. last play of the game was Jeremy Grant getting uh, getting blocked by by John Collins. But uh, yeah, uh, I also just want to note that uh, that on that when the game was one hundred six to one hundred four, and the uh, the Pistons needed to stop, uh, and and the Hawks had a chance to tie, and this was a key defensive possession late in the game. Dwayne Casey put Blake Griffin on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like, and this is not Dwayne Casey trying to lose. This is not a tank commander. This is Dwayne Casey doing what he thinks is the best way to win. No, he uh, thinks Blake, Blake Griffin gives it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he Blake thinks it's the best way to win. Yeah, yeah, Blake Griffin was a bad defender during his All NBA season. Whatever. Yep. I mean, he was so good in the opposite end of the floor, and you know, he did his best on defense. He, he often didn't necessarily try super hard on defense, but you know, that happens, especially if you're carrying a super offensive load, and maybe whatever. I'm never going to not going to condone it, but LeBron James, for example, just to keep himself fresh. Doesn't really mm-hmm. play much defense during the uh, during the regular season. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case, he can't play defense now. Dwayne Casey had him on that floor for ridiculously had him on the floor for that late game uh, for that late game late uh, defensive play with the, the shot clock off yeah. uh, against Boston and uh, you know against against uh, Brad Stevens who loves his late game isolations. Tatum, uh, an excellent isolation player. There was a hundred percent chance that he would end up on Blake and Blake had no hope of defending him. And did Marcus like, what... Smart say something about that too? Yeah, Marcus, Marcus Smart basically said we were said, looking for Blake. Yeah, we were looking for Blake, and they easily got him. They just yep. ran a they ran a pick to get Tatum off of Jeremy Grant, and that was that. Man, so <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like Marcus Smart ran the pick. So if you if you want to take the time to run Jeremy Grant back to uh, back to Jason Tatum, he passes to Smart, and Smart's been an excellent three point shooter this year. Yep. So uh, it's like, and then you, you and then in this situation, like, what is Blake Griffin possibly going to do? Like, what are you thinking? That's that's the that the Hawks are going to throw it to, to John Collins for a post up. Like who, why on earth would they ever do that? It's like, who, who is, who is ever going to do that in this situation? They've got Trey Young. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. They, he is, they, they are not going to, to post up John Collins and when I'm going to work in the post, which is, which is not a great offensive possession. You can easily be doubled. Yeah. And, uh, and there were, uh, yeah. I mean, the Hawks got that, got the ball with 20 seconds. I mean, Yeah. So what on earth is he doing out there on the floor? He is out there on the know. floor because the coach is because the coach made a bad decision, a, a completely inexplicable decision. This is the kind of stupid, inexplicable decision that Casey has constantly made throughout his coaching career. Right, but, you know, just often does things that make no sense, and that's just how it is. Yeah, what, what Stewart didn't foul out tonight, did he? Was it wasn't he available towards the end? Stewart, he didn't foul out. Yeah, did he? Stewart, no, Stewart didn't foul out. Uh, Stewart no, has I, yet to foul out. My. I'm going to give a shout out to my dad because he had mentioned a pretty cool idea. He thought that Isaiah Stewart had shown a pretty, pretty good aptitude for guarding uh, two through five. Um, and I think yeah, when you uh, have, oh, okay, better than Griffin. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt better than Griffin. Yeah, but my dad, my my dad, right? So he listens to this podcast. Hey, dad. So he thinks that Isaiah Stewart's uh, defensive potential is through the roof, right? And so I'm almost wondering if you are so insistent on having a big out there. Why isn't it Stewart and why is it Blake? Because you can make the argument that, well, neither of them can guard Trey Young and they're not going to throw the ball into John Collins in the post. And that's very much true. But I'd rather have, in a crucial situation like that, my very best defenders out there. Uh, but instead, like, Blake is just not capable of doing anything. <laughs> He's just not capable of doing anything on that end. So I would have liked to see Stewart out there. There's so many players I would have rather seen than Blake Griffin. And it's just so frustrating to know that our head coach actually thought that that was the best way to win that game. It's like, it, it boggles my mind. It truly does. I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. You have, uh, if John Collins is going to do anything in that situation, he's going to be, he's going to set a pick and roll. Um, he, he's, he's struggling a little bit this season with pick and roll, but uh, you know, last season he was one of the better pick and roll players in the league. 
Uh, you are, you're not just going to post him up for no reason. It's just like, yeah, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've said it. It's just like, it's just like, this is again, don't care about the loss. This is just the sort of inexplicably stupid decision that Dwayne Casey makes on a regular basis. And, and that, that seems to be an, an inextricable component of his coaching at this point. I don't think it's ever going to change. I mean, this, this was known. It was known. It was the fact before he came to Detroit, it is just how things are. No, there's so, no indication that it would change. Uh, I mean, he's an older no, guy too. No. It's not like this is a 35 year old head coach who's got a lot to learn, right? It, it, Dwayne Casey has won a coach of the year award. So in his mind, why would he change his ways, right? And he was brought here to win. I'm sure that's what Tom Gore's mandated of him uh, when he first hired him was, oh, oh I want to win. Yeah. There, yeah, there's no doubt. He's like, I want to win. And Dwayne Casey's like, well, I know how to win. And, and <laughs> this is what he defaults back on. And so I, I've got to wonder. And I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on this, Mike, but I, I wonder what the breaking point is, or if you even think there is a breaking point, because I, I think you and I disagree on what um, Troy Weaver truly wants. And I don't personally think Troy Weaver is sitting in whatever press box he's sitting in, whether he's watching the game at home, I don't know what he's doing. I don't think Troy is watching this and is necessarily thrilled with what he's seeing, uh, not just because of the loss, but because of how they're losing. And I wonder how that's going to be reconciled between him and Tom Gores and Dwayne Casey. Do you, do you think Troy wants Casey around? I have no idea. And it's worth mentioning with Gores, you don't know what his situation is. He's always been very uh, all about the winning culture. Uh, yeah. you know, in my opinion, I think he, the guy's also just impatient. And that's part of like, you know, the winning culture. We don't, we, we want to just try to keep winning uh, and, and hope that miraculously something will change. Uh, but uh do I? Sorry, you said. Um, I I guess I'll I'll rephrase it to be a yeah a little more succinct. Do you think that Troy Weaver's ultimate championship coach, like his plan for who he no. wants his coach to be? Yeah, I don't think so either. No, I, I don't, don't think, think so either. either. I, I yeah. think uh, honestly, I think I think that Casey it is conceivable could uh, you know would just choose to retire regardless at the end of these five years. Unfortunately, he's on year number three. I mean, this is how I picture how Casey was hired in the first place. Tom Gores was watching. Uh, and saw uh, and saw that Casey was fired, and it's like he's like woohoo, you know, this guy can help us win. Hell yeah, he did so well with Toronto. Yeah, you know, he yeah. won Coach of the Year. It's like yeah. awesome. Get him for me. I don't care what you have to do. And, and it's like I said in the last episode, Tom Gore, you know, Casey when he accepted his Coach of the Year award and made a joke about being fired, and I don't know if you heard about it, and and said I was planning on taking some time off until Tom Gores, you know, talked to me and he really oh, sold me on his vision. That. Yeah, on his yeah. vision of the team. And it's like, yeah, I think he sold you on making your on bank, your bank $30 account thirty million dollars larger. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, there's I, no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, it's like what vision? It's like this guy's vision has been a complete and utter disaster. Uh, his vision is basically we want to be the eighth seed. We want to make the playoffs. We have to win now. We don't have a team to win now, but we have to win now. So no, I, I don't think Weaver sees him as that. Uh, that said, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure that Weaver is not similarly obsessed with the winning culture, uh, to, to you know, to the exclusion of all else. I mean, the guy really seems to be really seems to be all about that. Getting players, he says, so oh, these are winning winning players who compete hard on defense, and uh, and and I, I don't I wouldn't put it past the you know outside the realm of possibility that you know, even if he might not like exactly how it's being done. Uh, that that he's very focused on. Sure, we don't have the greatest team, but we want to try to compete and be, have these games be as close as possible. And uh, I, I couldn't tell you if if I don't think the way Casey's doing it is, is the best way for the Pistons to win. And uh, well, it certainly uh, isn't. No, yeah. the way the way Casey's doing it isn't good for anything because no, if he wants to anything. win, he's not doing a good job of winning. Clearly, and if he wants yeah. to he wants to focus on player development, there's no doubt he's doing a poor job at that. Oh, he's doing an awful job at that. He's doing an awful I, job yeah. at everything. He sucks yeah. at everything. He yeah, sucks. I did, yeah. Yep, I agree. I, I completely agree. And and uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think his plaudits as Mister Awesome development coach are are unearned, and uh, and that a lot of that development wouldn't have happened if he had it still had the opportunity to play Damari Carroll, PJ Tucker, Corey Joseph. No, no and, Toronto uh, wouldn't have that yeah. championship. I, and I'm sure we're both very uh, very it's sold on that possible. idea. Yeah, yeah it's, it, I don't it, even it's, think it's possible. I think it's it's a likelihood. Um, even adding Kawhi Leonard, uh, I think you have to be very particular about the kind of offense you run and the kind of coaching philosophy you have if you're going to be serious about winning a championship. Oh, oh Dwayne Casey? I don't think Dwayne Casey would have gotten past. If he were still the coach, I don't think he would have gotten past the second round in 2019. Yeah, maybe he peaks at, very the, close at the conference finals, but I certainly don't think they have a ring. I can tell oh, you that I right doubt. now. 
I, I doubt it even that. I mean, I remember it was it was Game Seven, and uh, and Kawhi won it uh, at the buzzer with that the last second shot in Game Seven. Yeah, the triple bouncer. Yeah. yeah, Dwayne Casey. I mean, yeah, I, I think a lot of people misremember that it wasn't that. Um, uh, basically, he made that shot to avoid going to overtime. I mean, they would have yeah. been a tie game, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, that was how close that series was. Nick Nurse is a dramatically better coach than Casey. You put coach to Casey in that same situation, they're probably out in you know in five or six games tops. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that Casey would have had anything near the imagination necessary to throw the defense that uh, that Nick Nurse threw at, at Giannis and Tedekumpo. Um, that that really, you know, in addition to you know, sure, some of his teammates just collapsed, particularly Eric Bledsoe. But uh, but that was a very innovative defense. It worked, and and I don't think Dwayne Casey would have done that. And I'm not going to say, oh yeah, Nick Nurse is so great. You know, is this you know look at it? He won a championship in his first season. Sure, he had better. You know, he had some better personnel on the team. He had Kawhi Leonard, one of one of the best players in the world, and he had the Warriors getting injured. I don't think they won a one championship without that. I still think he's a dramatically better coach. Oh no way, no way they would have won without Durant and Clay going out. But at the end of the day, they got their trophy, and I'm sure they're not you know complaining about how they got there. Like I, I live in Windsor, Ontario. (laughs) I'm surrounded by Raptors fans. They haven't forgot. Nobody brings up the fact that KD went out. That like it's just uh, we the North and everybody's flying the flags. So. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're happy. They're happy, and I don't think they would have achieved that happiness if if Casey was still the coach. And clearly, you don't. We agree. No, yeah, we're uh, seeing it. We're seeing it every yeah. night. Yeah, and Toronto fans are. I mean, there was a lot of frustration. I remember back then amongst Raptor fans. Uh, but the same thing. It's like Casey just does the same thing over and over again. He does not. He, he's not imaginative. He does not adapt. Uh, yeah, he. Yeah, and but yeah, I, mean, I have no doubt that Raptors fans are still happy. I mean, uh, the, the Pistons, the players, and the fans were still happy. I. Uh, was definitely not watching back then, but uh, and uh, I, I know this from the Thirty for Thirty documentary. Uh, the uh, their first championship uh, in the Bad Boys era, when Magic Johnson went out very early in the series, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was uh, was in his last season, and uh, and it was an easy, it was a much easier series because of that. Of course, the Pistons came one very questionable foul call away from beating the uh, the Lakers in six games the season before with everybody healthy, but. Yeah, championships, championship, whatever the case. Yeah, I think Nick Nurse, Nick Nurse is just dramatically better. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think I think Troy Weaver has this level of, of complicity here, and I think that if he really felt, uh, you know, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility. He's just all about the winning culture, and he's not willing to interfere with what Casey is doing. And uh, and if that's the case, then then I have severe concerns about him. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of his off season. Uh, his draft, I think, was was okay. Uh, I thought it was a little weird that he got rid of Bruce Brown. <laughs> In, in yeah. this particular context, yeah, for basically what amounted to a second round pick after he he waived Musa, who wasn't great but had some upside uh, for Rodney Magruder, but uh, who who has no nothing to offer and the Pistons and probably wouldn't have a job right now. So I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what to think about Weaver. Uh, whatever the case, somebody uh, it would, maybe he thinks that things are fine. Is anybody going to intervene? Who knows? Is Casey going to be fired? I doubt it. Uh, you know, not uh, not not this season. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's just a mess. So uh, I know you talked, you, you mentioned Isaiah Stewart. Why don't we move on and talk about him a little bit? Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I spoke, um, yeah, I, Tommy and I spoke about this, uh, spoke about him a bit. I mean, I, I really like, uh, in the last episode, I really like him as a player. He's definitely a banger. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a super hard worker, seems to be not only on the floor, but super hard uh, by all accounts off the floor, pretty cerebral. Uh, I don't know if I agree about his defensive potential being that high. Uh, one of his knocks is that he is not very athletic. He's very strong, but he's not quick. He's not explosive, and he's not a good jumper. I think that'll that'll really limit his defensive potential. Uh, you know, it's you've uh, I've seen so far in the season quite a bit, guys just you know, lofting the ball a little bit too high for him to, for him to reach just because he's not a good jumper. Uh, he's, he's not uh, very good at getting from place to place. He'll work hard without a doubt. And he's not going to, you know, he's not going to back down for anybody, but uh, still my opinion. And this, this is if Stewart can manage to uh, become effectively switchable on defense and, and become a decent paint, uh, paint defender. He's struggled so far. I don't care. I really couldn't care less that he struggled, but uh, you know, he'll work hard. He'll work to improve, whatever. But uh, and and if he can shoot threes, because I, I think he'll always struggle as an interior scorer simply because he can't score from above the rim. He's just pretty much got to loft it from a standing position. So I like him a lot, but I I, I think that his ceiling is is low end, kind of low cost starter on a good team. 
Yeah, no, I, 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 his lack of verticality is certainly going to hurt him on both ends. I would agree with you. And for a guy with that uh, kind of player profile, you'd like to see him be like a bit of a rim runner. And when you can't jump that high, your, your ability to finish is obviously severely limited. Right. And then on the defensive end, if guys are jumping over you uh, and you can't quite meet them at the, at the peak of their, their altitude, then that's also limited as well. Um, But I think, and this is just, again, just from having played sports, and I'm sure you know this as well, whatever sport you're playing, a significant part of defense is your desire to play defense. And I think that the the heart and passion and hustle that goes into uh, defending is is a big piece of the puzzle. So honestly, when I watch someone like Isaiah Stewart, and I could tell how bad he wants to just destroy whoever's in front of him on either end, I'm a lot higher on his potential because I think a player like that with the physical tools that he already has uh, relative to the rest of the NBA, of course, I think he can develop into something that uh, a player who lacks that drive and that passion uh, might struggle to develop into. So I I I guess time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. I guess time will tell. Um, But I think his ceiling is, is higher because of the effort level. Like that's something that separates the Dennis Rodmans from the Andre Drummonds, quite honestly. Because I was even just I was in a conversation uh, watching the game recently where I said something to the effect of, you know, okay, so Isaiah Stewart's got uh, ten rebounds tonight, whatever it was, whichever game I was watching. I would rather those ten rebounds that I've seen right now on my screen than the twenty rebounds that Andre Drummond would give us some nights, right? Because there's something to be said about the quality and the value of a rebound. So whereas Drummond might get 20 when he's like tipping in his own shots and he's getting three rebounds on one possession, but he hasn't really helped the team. Uh, Whereas Isaiah Stewart's getting 10, but they're coming in limited minutes and they're coming in situations where he's keeping our offensive possessions alive through sheer willpower. He just wants the ball more than everybody else. That's invaluable. And I'm looking forward to him uh, expanding on that skill set. And I believe that he can. Uh, so that's that's where the uh, that's where the optimism on him comes in for me yeah, personally. I, yeah, I, I agree that uh, that if he is much, he is very likely to reach whatever his ceiling is, just because he's a super hard worker. I think that just because uh, you know, as you said, he's not going to be the greatest role man because uh, you're basically going to have to dish it to him under the basket every time. Right? Yeah, he's not going to be a lob threat. Uh, he maybe he'll, he'll improve as a post scorer, but really post scoring is not going to be a big aspect of any offense unless you're an amazing post post scorer like Jokic or or Embiid, who's just an absolute yep. battering ram because it disrupts the flow of the offense and it's just not a high-efficiency form of offense for most players. So uh, I think that spacing the floor is going to be very important for him. Right now, Dwayne Casey has come out and said he's not asking Stewart to shoot because he doesn't want him to ask him to do too much. And I guess too much is anything beyond setting screens and collecting uh, and collecting rebounds. Yeah, that's too uh, much. I, I, yeah, that's just too much for a guy who clearly, you know, just, just, uh, you know, will quail at any, res- any additional responsibility, Seriously. you know, thrown his way. It's, it's like, are you kidding me? I think that this can be translated as I want to win games. Oh I don't want to give him the opportunity to do this because I don't think he's good enough at it yet. No, yeah. If you told yeah. Isaiah Stewart to go to the moon at halftime, he would go to the moon. Like yeah. that guy would do anything a coach asked. And honestly, I think you and I are in agreement. He wants it bad enough to where if this guy worked at something, he's likely to make it happen. So I know, uh, didn't, yeah, we were talking about uh, Casey mentioning, oh, he's probably going to be able to shoot, but right now that's not what I want. I think, and I'll you know I'll plant my flag. I think that Isaiah Stewart could become a somewhat respectable three point shooter in his career uh, because sure. he really wants it that bad. Um, but he's got, you know, he's got probably, a decent stroke too. Some guys no, just don't have the stroke. Actually looks nice. He yeah. he took a couple of uh, mid range shots earlier, and then has he taken a three? I don't remember if he has. Uh, he's attempted one, I believe, it was late in the shot clock. Yeah, it looks. Yeah, his stroke looks really nice, which that to me, and he's a pretty good free throw shooter too, which is a very good indicator of how you're going to be. Uh, well, at least it is in college. Uh, so I think he'll be good. But I, one thing that we've discussed at length is that your best um, bet on improving at something is to actually do it in an NBA game. Um, so I don't understand. I even said this tonight. I don't know Pistons fan is going to be upset if Isaiah Stewart tosses up a three and it looks good and he's in a good position to do so and he bricks it. Nobody's going to be upset because that's the way that he's going to improve. And we're obviously not looking to win games or make a playoff run this year. So I don't understand why Casey's not asking that of him. What he should be saying is, hey, look, don't hunt your three-point shot like your prime uh, Steph Curry. Uh, But if it's there, take it. That's what a good coach would say. 
Um, and because Stuart hasn't taken any, uh, we're only left to believe that he's told him not to, unless it's his last resort. Pretty much. Yeah, I would say that's that's absolutely certain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remain a little bit upset with Troy Weaver for not giving this team any spacing at the five. Stewart is the only one who has any potential as a floor spacer uh, in that position. Yeah, he's just not being allowed to do it. And this is just one of the things with the rebuild. It's, yeah, it's like you said, learn by doing. You know, give these guys a chance. Give these guys a chance to improve by doing, to learn by doing. And that is absolutely not what is happening right now. No, Instead, the Pistons are chasing wins for no reason. Yep. <laughs> so... Yep. Yeah, uh, they can just come back to it again and again and again. It's just infuriating. I don't think we're going to see Dwayne Casey get fired. Troy Weaver's got to do something, in my opinion. But no, he does. He's got to sit him down and talk to him. For sure, unfor- he does. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's just there's the unfortunate possibility that Troy Weaver is an unknown quantity. I mean, this, this is the guy who's been a general manager for, you know, as far as the things he has been doing for just a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been a general manager in, in general since June, but in, in terms of actual operations, uh, you know, beyond just draft scouting. Yeah, who knows? It's it's hard to know. Maybe maybe he's okay with this. I, I certainly hope not, but but uh, but maybe he is. Yeah, it remains so. to be seen. I'll sprinkle in a little optimistic optimism in that. Uh, I think that we do have a competent person running the team, and I guess I'm basing that off of uh, the winning pedigree in OKC, and not only the winning pedigree, but the the fact that they largely built through the draft. Which to me. Uh, when you come from like a quote unquote small market team, and basically, I mean, when you're when you're managing a team that's not Los Angeles or Miami, basically, uh, I think that building a team is hard. And he was clearly a part of a front office who could do it. So I'm choosing to remain optimistic. I think he has a good vision that he'll be able to execute. But this Dwayne Casey situation right now is highly alarming and how he ends up responding to it or what he has to say about it or how he shows his cards through his actions coming up, that's going to really tell the story. So I'm choosing to remain hopeful. I could be wrong, uh, but we'll have to see. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? This um, episode? Dwayne Casey sucks. <laughs> sucks, man. I, I hate watching what? it. I hate watching it right now. <laughs> Why didn't you say this before? We're already at 57 <laughs> minutes. You'd yeah. think I would have mentioned it uh, once yeah. or twice, but no. The, the only thing I have to say is that, obviously, we're all going to keep watching. Like We love the Pistons. At the end of the day, it might seem like we've been harsh um, because there's a large contingency of Pistons fans who are uh, really, really uh, – I shouldn't say really, really, but they respect Dwayne Casey and they think that he knows best. And I would argue um, <laughs> that the argument to authority is not good. And the argument to authority being that just because someone has a credential next to their name oh, yeah. or is in a position, right, to, that says they know what they're talking about, doesn't necessarily know what they're mean that they know what they're talking oh, about. Oh, absolutely. Uh, at, I, I you've think, seen that at every level of the world, right? Absolutely. And, certainly yep. in sports, certainly in Detroit sports. Also. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> whether it's the Lions, the Pistons, uh, it doesn't matter. What matters is we will say nice things about our teams when they give us nice things to say. And right absolutely. now, there's nothing nice to say. There isn't. And hopefully, you know, maybe next week uh, we can get back on the pod and we can be like, wow, that was awesome. Like, that was great. Love what we just watched. But tonight is not that night. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm I'm long past the point at which I will think that coach knows best or even their GM knows best. Yeah. Uh, like I said, we've seen it at, at every level, at, really at every level. Uh, just, just having the position doesn't necessarily mean you're qualified for it. Certainly mm-hmm. in Detroit sports. You know, we just saw Matt Patricia and, and who is the GM of the Lions? Bob I, Quinn. Former GM. Is he, I'm really upset. Too. I had to say, I'm really upset. I had to say Bob yeah. Quinn tonight, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bob yeah. Quinn and Matt Patricia, Bob Quinn came in in 2016, uh, fired yeah. Jim Caldwell, Patricia came in in 17 and they were both fired right after the right. Uh, Thanksgiving game. Yeah. Uh, didn't Patricia come in in 2018? Uh, uh, what is 20? You see, they all blend together because it's been yeah, so, it's I, been I, like I, a black I believe, hole. yeah, I believe he did. Uh, just he, Bob I, Quinn was twenty, yeah, twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, and then basically Patricia's had two and a half years. Yeah, that's the main yeah, because, point. Yeah, Patricia was hired during Van Gundy's final season because I remember. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember on, on some sort of medium, I might have been the All Star game, and uh, and somebody came out and said, uh, incorrect, obviously incorrectly, that Matt Patricia has been hired as the coach of the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> um, so I'm sure you remember that. Oh, during the so, Super yeah. Bowl, they said that. Yeah, yeah, I do remember. Oh, that. it was during You're the Super right. Bowl, right? Yes. Uh, it was during so, the Super Bowl. Uh, whatever the case, yeah, we 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 seen it plenty of times in Detroit that uh, that it's just it's not true. You have those two guys, and you have them very recently. They were complete failures. They they were in their positions. Yep. They were complete failures. 
I, I, and they had and, more uh, credentials yeah. than Dwayne Casey did because between Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, I believe it was four or five Super Bowls uh, yeah. coming from New England, right? So when they come you, in and they say, hey, yeah. well, it was basically, this can definitely be cross-extrapolated uh, out to the Pistons, right? Because Bob Quinn and, Dwayne, and uh, Matt Patricia come in and they say, hey, we know what it takes to win a championship. Look at the rings on, my, on our fingers. We're going to do things the Patriot way, which they're now going to brand the Lions way. And yeah. that's it. End of story. If you disagree, get out. And players started getting shipped out, and the locker room was horrible. And obviously, the experiment ended in, in a massive failure, right? And so that's, you know, you got to think, did, did Tom Gores think that of Dwayne Casey? Like, oh, my God, this guy's got a coach of the year. That must mean that he knows what he's talking about, and whatever he does is going to be good, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's um, it, I'd say it's the same thing even with pedigreed, uh, even with, 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 yeah, like you said, with pedigreed people like Ken Holland. Sure, the Pistons won uh, four Stanley, you know, three Stanley Cups with uh, with with him as general manager, and an additional one with him as assistant general manager. Oh, the uh, wings, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Ken Holland, uh, he was good for a while. Uh, he was not so good in the post cap era. Sure, the Pistons, uh, excuse me, the Red Wings were 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 a pretty darn successful team for the first uh, for the first uh, first four seasons. But it, it became quickly apparent that you know it, it's a lot easier to be successful when you have bottomless pockets and can outspend everybody else. And also you have a European scouting infrastructure that is just vastly more advanced than that of other teams. They just haven't caught up. But when teams, when you no longer have those advantages, uh, you know, sure you have these Stanley Cups in your past, but you're not very good anymore. I mean, and and, and Ken Holland, I think after 2009 was a very bad GM. (laughs) So, you know, even when it comes to, even when it comes to, you know, actually directly credentialed, uh, the personnel yeah it's just just because they're there it doesn't necessarily mean they know what they're talking about so no accolades don't mean anything unless you yourself go out and as the guy whether that's troy weaver or whether yeah. that's bob quinn Dwayne casey in whatever, the moments too yeah, in, in the, the moment, moment not in the past yeah not in the past you show that you are able to to win a championship because like like and honestly probably the best argument for this whole idea that we've been talking about is that there really haven't been any coaches that have come out from Bill Belichick's coaching tree that have been even, let alone, let's not even talk about replicating the Patriots' success, just success yeah. in general. They haven't had it, which means that just because you come from somewhere doesn't mean you know what you're doing, right? And I guess, you know, I was trying to be optimistic about Weaver. Maybe I've now talked myself out of Weaver too, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so uh, we've reached about an hour and two here, so uh, yep. we're going to call it for the episode at this point. I uh, want to thank you all for listening, as always, and we'll see you next time.